Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Now let's listen to Pastor Dave Crocker. Oh, well, last week, um, I really enjoyed our service. Um, got to do something I've never done before, and that's wipe out our mission and vision stuff and park it all and start with a clean slate, which was, um, was good. And if you were part of that service, I, I hope that you, you felt that, uh, found that compelling. And who can tell me now the two things that we focus on as a church? That's awesome. Love God, love people. The, the power of that is astounding because last week when I asked you what our mission statement was, no one got it. When I asked you what our vision pieces were, we mumbled through a couple of the, the things. And now you all remember two things. I love the simplicity of two things. But at the same time, those two things are incredibly broad. Loving God and loving others as ourselves, which was uh, from the, the story and the parable of the Good Samaritan, an encounter Jesus had with the legal expert You'll find that in Luke chapter 10. He asked them the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus being Jesus doesn't answer the question. He throws it straight back at him and says, well, how do you read the law, the scriptures? And he turns around and says, well, we need to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength and love others as ourselves." Jesus says, that's great, go and do that. And then for some unknown reason, rather than just stopping there when he got it all right and he'd answered the question correctly, he'd got affirmed by Jesus, he carried on. Jesus, who is my neighbour? And, and I preached a series of messages on this last year about the fact that Jesus didn't define who was the neighbour. He just assumed everybody was a neighbour and then he went on to tell us how to be a good neighbour, what loving other people looked like and he used the story of the Samaritan man, to to teach us that. Today I want to uh, look at it from a slightly different perspective. In Matthew chapter 22, we've got a similar encounter taking place. Jesus this time is being quizzed by uh, the Pharisees, which was one of the Jewish religious sects at the time. He just had an encounter with another grouping called the Sadducees, and uh, had put them in their place. And so the Pharisees wanted to get involved and have this dialogue. And so they asked Jesus, what do we got? What, how do you read the commandments? What's the most important commandment? And so Jesus replies, you must love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second commandment is similar. Sorry, the second commandment is equally important. Love your neighbour as yourself. And he says the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on those two commandments. That's in Matthew 22. But the thing that strikes me about this is Jesus didn't actually answer correctly. He was asked what the greatest commandment is and he, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and strength. Well, that precedes the 10 commandments in Deuteronomy chapter six. And he says, love your neighbour as yourself. If you do a search of uh, Jewish law, that particular phrasing is not there. He, he hasn't uh, followed what uh, and, and said a second commandment. He's actually added to what was already there. The only one that is qualified, empowered and able to add to God's law is God himself. 
embodied in Jesus Christ. And the Ten Commandments were, you shall love, sorry, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honour your mother and father. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. And you shall not covet. Those were the Ten Commandments given specifically to Moses, directly from God. They were written on stone tablets. But if we consider that list of Ten Commandments again, the first four of them are directed towards God. You shall have no other gods. You shall not make idols. You shan't take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The next six are framed about how we treat other people. Not murdering, honouring our mother and father, not committing adultery, not stealing, not lying, not coveting. So what Jesus has done really is summarise the last six parts of that passage. See, if you want to know what is the entire law rests upon, all the Old Testament writings and teachings on the law, it all comes down to two things. And in our language, loving God and loving people. We're to love people because the heart of Jesus for people was as important as love for God. So we're supposed to love God and he said the second is equally important. He put it at the same value level as the first one. Not only are we commanded to love God, but, but we're also required to love people. Sounds so simple, but yet we have so much trouble doing it. I, I sometimes reckon life would be so much easier if there weren't other people involved. Church certainly would be a lot easier if I was the only one here. I'd be the only one critical of my own messages. So the problem with the law that the Jewish society and people lived under, it's the same issue that we have with the law of the land today. Law has absolutely no power to change people. It just shows us where the boundaries are. It shows us what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And it allows us to make a choice whether we obey them or not by defining where it is. In some ways, the, the police for us are like the Pharisees. They've got a role in educating on what the law is and enforcing the law when we break the law. Now, I know you don't do that. None of you have ever had speeding tickets or anything like that. But other people in other churches, our judicial system, that's a tough word to say when I'm preaching, it does the same thing. It brings consequences for breaking the law. But the law will never change you. Following a set of rules will never change you. It could modify your behaviour if you abide by it, but it certainly can't change your beliefs. Understanding why the law was needed is key for us. So before Jesus, uh, sorry, uh, Moses is on the mountain with the Ten Commandments. Before that time, Israel had been in captivity in Egypt for a lot of generations. They'd had to follow the Egyptian laws and rules and the way they went about life. They weren't functioning as a society in their own right because they were under the authority of another government. They simply did what they were told to do. And then we see them freed from captivity in Egypt and they begin to wander the desert for the, the 40 years. And God is basically, if you read the story, teaching them how to do life. 
He's teaching them some of the things that they should do and shouldn't do. He, he's communicating some, some great truths. Now, we have the advantage of advanced medicine these days, and, and we know the danger of contact with blood, that, that disease and things can be spread by contact with blood. And in the Old Testament, an example, it says, if someone has blood, they're unclean. In other words, they must be separated from the community. Now, they wouldn't have understood all the reasons behind it that we might today, but God is helping frame society for this group of people. I don't know if you've ever done a study of the laws of the Old Testament, but it's something that that intrigued me. There are 613 separate commandments given to the people. They are split into two categories. Negative ones, these are the things you can't do. Positive ones, these are the things you must do. There are 365 negatives, one for every single day of the year. Every single day of the year, there's something that you shouldn't do. But there are also 213 positives. Now, I'm I'm told, and I haven't fact-checked this particularly deeply, but 213 is the exact number of bones and major organs contained in our body. I reckon God was into numbers. Throughout the Bible, there's these crazy number things. But there's all this stuff that they're told to do and not do. And Jesus comes along and he sums it up. We've got to love God and love people. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets of the Old Testament basically boils down to love God, love people. If you've been here uh, for, for a while, you'll, you'll have heard different messages I've spoken about Jesus and how countercultural he was, and particular when we study the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus delivered to the, the masses that were gathered, the things that he was saying were so different to the things that they would be taught. It would have been shocking for them to have stood there and listened to it. To have heard the words would have been incredibly confrontational to their thinking, and we read them and go, oh, that, that's nice. But in the the mindset of the people at the day, it was so completely different. Jesus, in actual fact, hasn't done away with the law. The Bible talks about him fulfilling the law. The problem for us is the bar's actually been raised. Now it's not simply enough to say don't commit adultery. If we look at someone else with lust in our mind, we're guilty of adultery. Not only now is we're not allowed to murder But if we carry hate in our hearts for someone else, we're guilty of murder. Jesus has actually raised the bar so far, none of us are ever going to achieve it. And I guess that's the point of why he died. None of us can. We can't do enough good things to undo the bad things that we've done. That's called religion. It's man's effort to, to make themselves one with God. But God, through Jesus Christ, offered us relationship. And when the the power of the cross is that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us in our sin. He sees his son in his righteousness and glory. We, excuse the phrasing, but it's like we're wearing Jesus as a cloak. God doesn't see your brokenness and your sin. He sees his son and he has love. If we want to know how important love is, is let's consider the chapter in the Bible dedicated to love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm just going to read the first three verses. 
If I could speak all the languages of the of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Listen to that list again. It sounds like a super Christian to me. A person who can speak in tongues, who can prophesy, who can understand the mind of God, has incredible faith, gives to the poor, maybe they're martyred. I reckon that's the guy you want leading this church. He'd make a great pastor, except for one thing. You can do all of that stuff. You can live the life of of a super Christian. But if we're missing that key ingredient of loving other people, it's nothing. I find that so challenging. It's so confronting for me because I, I think we'll have some true confessions from pastors this morning. I think sometimes we feel, not just pastors, but all of us, that we've got to look a certain way. We've got to behave a certain way, do things a certain way. And, and otherwise, you know, people will question what we're doing and who we are. And, and, and to a degree, that's true. But we can look right. We can come to church and lift our hands. We can know all the words to the song. We can pray. We can give. We can serve on rosters. And if we're doing it without love, it's nothing. I don't know about you, but that, that's challenging for me. To always stop and go, well, what are my motives? Why am I doing this? Is, am, I, am I doing it out of obligation or am I doing it because I genuinely love this group of people and I want to serve them as much as I can? We love God. We love people. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, I'm reading from the New Living Translation here. It says, loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Did I say that word right? Burdensome. I, I like that. Loving God means keeping his commandments. What are his commandments? Love God. Love people. Following on and displaying our love for God is by doing the things that Jesus asked us to do. Living the kind of life that, that he asked us to live. You know, some People, their, their view of Christianity and the reason that, that they don't get involved is that oh, I'm going to have to change everything and you've got all these things that I have to do and all these rules and regulations. It's just not true. When it all breaks down to it, we love God and we love people. And all of us, no matter who we are and how great you are in this room, no matter how many decades of being an amazing follower of Jesus you are, we've all got room to grow in loving God and loving people. We all get it wrong sometimes. We all react out of a a place of frustration or anger or disappointment or hurt. And and we say things that we don't mean. Perhaps not you. It'll be the person sitting beside you that I'm talking about this morning. But if we stop and we do a self-examination, how much do we really show love? How much do we display love to other people sitting in this room? Remembering Jesus said, this is how they will know you're my followers, if you love one another. Love is at the core of all that 
He asked us to do. I believe Jesus gave us a clear and concise mandate to love God and love people. Have you got it yet? What are we here to do? That's fantastic. If I have to get it tattooed on my forehead, I'll do that. My wife might not like it. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. I shared this verse last week. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. It's interesting. The people that were charged with carrying the message of Jesus after his death were speaking the same things that Jesus did. We've got to imitate God and live a life filled with love. If you weren't here last week and you want to listen to the other part of this, and it is on our, our website each week, we put all our messages on our website so you can listen. If you weren't here, I want to encourage you to do that. I came at it from a, a different angle and I, I played a, a video clip, which I won't play again this morning, but we will look at a shortened version of that at, at various times as we go on. So I'm going to park now, love God, love people, and trust that you'll remember it till next Sunday. And uh, that, that, you know, that this is something that God has really been captivating me about. Uh, when I, I preached that series of messages on how to neighbour I didn't realise the impact that it would have on my life. And, and sometimes I love that about the, the Bible where we, we can almost see it, sometimes it's like a mirror, it's reflecting back at us who we really are. And we, when we see ourselves in those pages and we realise we're actually not living the kind of life Jesus had for us to live. And so I, I, this year we're going to continue to unfold what that looks like and come at it from different angles and in different things. But the second part of what I wanted to do in this uh, time of vision that we've been looking at over the last month is a, a theme for us as a church. And every year we, we have a theme about something specific that God is, is talking to us about and we, we think he has for us for a particular season. And, um, you know, the, the love God, love people is, is kind of a, a pretty big thing. But specifically coming into this year as we're praying and seeking God, we came to a particular idea. So one of the hallmarks of Christianity is that we're kind of always forward-looking. We're looking forward to the day that Jesus returns. We believe that the future is written and the, the, how that unfolds is contained in our holy scriptures. We look forward to Jesus returning. We, we speak about faith, which is things that, that are not in the moment and the, the future things being present now. The problem with all this looking forward that we tend to do is that sometimes we can miss what God is wanting to do right here and right now. And so our theme at the moment is now. We will continue to believe that God will shape our future, but we're going to embrace the challenges of today. We will plan for what lies ahead, but we will embrace it now. Part of, of faith is believing that a future reality can be experienced here and now. When it comes to loving God and loving people, it begins now. We can't afford to wait until we've got more resources or more people to help us do what we want to do. We've got to begin now. 
Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1. Don't brag about tomorrow since you don't know what that day will bring. I think that verse really is speaking to us about living today. We don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know if Jesus is coming back tomorrow. We, I don't know what's going to be when my life is going to be required of me, when I, I am done on this earth and spending eternity with him. I don't know when that is. I'm praying for my family's sake. It's a long time away, but we don't know. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what's going to take place tomorrow. We live today. And if we're forever looking at tomorrow and thinking about tomorrow and waiting for tomorrow, we can miss what God is wanting to do in and through us today. And that's one of the things that I've got to personally keep coming back to. I'm a, I'm a visionary. I, I spend a lot of time dreaming about the future and seeing what that looks like and in and, and some way, ways living in a future reality. But I've got to stop and look around and say, God, what are you doing today? What is it that you want from me today? What does life look like today? What can I do here and now? 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. For God says, at just the right time I heard you. On the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. I don't know how many conversations I've had with people. Or I've been sharing about Jesus with them and they say, one day. I'm enjoying my life too much right now. I like how things are for me now. One day when I'm older, then I'll look at this thing and I'll believe in God and live for Him. I love that. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. It's today. It's now. It's this moment. John 4.23, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. It's here now. We worship God now. We live our life now. Yet we believe for the future and we're pushing for a, a different future and we dream and we do all that, but we've got to live life now. We've got to live lives of worship now. We've got to live lives that reflect and honour our God now. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 10. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. It's one of the, the, the interesting concepts in in the Christian tradition is that we are future driven, yet Jesus keeps communicating about the power of the moment now. And I want us to, to grasp that as, as we continue to push on this year, that we've got to embrace the moments that are in front of us now. We've got to take the opportunities that present themselves to us now. Yes, we'll believe and we'll push and we'll pray for a a future that, that we believe God is calling us to, but we've got to embrace the moment now. How tragic it would be for, with an incredible opportunity to present itself and us not be ready to embrace it now. For me, this, I, I, I love it. I, I'm constant because I want things to happen now. I'm a little bit impatient 
and uh, I, when, I, when I see something, I, I want it now. I'm, I'm shocking when it comes to saving for things because I just want it now. We want to be able to embrace the moment now. So part three of my message for today is I believe that information leads to transformation through application. I'll say it again, transformation, sorry, I've misread my own quote. Information leads to transformation through application. What I mean by that is is this, discovering the truth is not enough. Most of us, most of the people outside of the four walls that aren't here today, don't necessarily wanna know what's true, they wanna know what works. It doesn't matter all the knowledge in the world, they wanna know what's gonna work in their life. There's a reason that we all read lots of articles on fitness and health and losing weight because we wanna know what works. And if it works for someone else, maybe it'll work for us. Entire industries are built off that idea of people wanting to know what works. And that's the challenging part. I can give you lots of information. In fact, most of the research I do for a message never even makes it onto the pages of, of my paper. We could spend all our time doing degrees in theology and studying God's Word and trying to understand the depths and the layers contained in Scripture. And we can study Greek and Hebrew and begin to embrace the Bible and the languages that it was being communicated in. And we can have a head full of knowledge and our world be falling apart. We can know it all and have no idea what to do in tough times. See, knowledge is vital. Information is important, and that's why in in what I do, there are always components of of teaching what the Word of God says, of of unpacking what, what the Scriptures mean. But beyond information, we need to know what our next step is. What do we do with what we've heard? We must determine to live the message. James 1.22 is a verse that's on my father's gravestone. It's a verse that I've tried to live my life by when I, I remember the first time I went back and visited uh, my, my, the graveside and I, I read the, the inscription on it and it said this, James 1.22, but don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. It's not enough to know it. Church, it's not enough to sit here week after week and hear the Word of God. We have to do something about it. We have to embrace the challenge. We have to make the change. We have to do something with the message of God. Knowledge is not enough. Here's another quote that I wrote. Information without application leads to frustration. When there is a disconnect between what we know and how we live, it can be frustrating. In Romans chapter 7, it's a, it's a crazy read if you want to take the time to read it and try and get your head around it. Paul says this, The things that I want to do, I do not do. The things that I do not want to do, that is what I do. This is the guy that wrote most of the New Testament, that established churches all over the known world at the time, He's saying, the stuff that I know that I really want to do, I'm not doing it. 
The stuff that I don't want to do, that's the stuff that I find myself doing. There's a frustration in, his, in the tone of that verse when he's the difference between knowing it and living it. And I believe that transformation happens with faith in action. If you've been here for a while, I hope you've noticed that in nearly every message I give, there's an action step, an application, a challenge. It's intentional. It's something that I do because I'm committed to faith and action. And this year, I've decided I'm going to take things a step further in all that, and I've developed a concept called traffic lights. It's designed to help us identify our next step. I realise that as a, as a preacher, I would hope that every word I say connects with everybody, but I'm, I'm a bit wiser than that. And I know there'll be parts, hopefully, of my message that'll connect with you and there'll be other parts that won't because we're all in different stages of life and different parts of our faith journey. But I believe certain parts of every message can connect with you. That when I write a message, I'm actually physically picturing people in this congregation. How am I going to connect this? I, I begin my message preparation each week sitting in a cafe. And A, I love drinking coffee, but B, I love watching people. And as I'm writing words to begin on a, to speak on a Sunday, on a Tuesday morning, I'm sitting there looking at people going, if this person walked into my church on Sunday, would what I have to say make a difference in their life? I approach all my messages from that framework. And today's a little bit different. I'm not really preaching a message as such. I'm more kind of letting you know where, where things are happening. But it's the same thing. So the, the traffic light concept, red, yellow, and green, a red light means that it's a new concept. It, it's, maybe it's an area you, you struggle in or you're just starting out. If it's a yellow light, maybe you understand this. You made some progress in this or sometimes you get it right. And maybe you're a green light. You've pretty much got this nailed. You usually get it right. It's not a struggle for you, but there's still some room to grow. I, I guess it boils down to a specific question. What is God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? That question can actually change your life. I don't know if you do that. And, and I want to encourage you, especially you young ones that are here and, and do you, you're listening today, Alex. You know what the quick good meant. Asking that question. What is God saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? I don't know what God's going to say to you. I know that sometimes as I'm preaching, I get this thing hit me and I'm like, oh, I've got to sharpen up in that area. Maybe I'm worshipping and I, you know, we, we believe that God can speak or does speak and that we as followers of Jesus can hear his voice leading and guiding and prompting of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And that question will change your life. It will impact the way you interact with other people. It's actually a foundation for spiritual growth. What is God saying to me and what am I going to do about it? I'm not going to use traffic lights every Sunday, but when I do, it's designed to help you identify where you are and maybe what your next step could be. See, the power of this actually really happens when you write it down. You take notes. I'd, I'd love you to bring a journal or a notebook to, to church, maybe use your phone or your tablet or write it on the shirt of the person in front of you, do whatever you, you need to do. 
But in my messages each week, I have a key thought. One key thought. That if you get nothing else, that's the thought that I want you to take away. And we have action steps, things to do next. And if we don't write it down, I'm just going to assume you're like me. I walk out the door and I forget 95% of what was said in there. I might remember the odd image that I saw on screen or conversation I had with someone. But I can preach a message and later on this afternoon not remember half the things I said. But I always take notes. I've got sermon notes going back 20 years. I've written down message after message, thought after thought. Because that's the only way I know for myself, and I'm going to go ahead and assume you're similar, that you're actually going to remember it past maybe tomorrow. Some of you are better than that. So when something jumps out at me, I write it down. And I know lots of you do. I, I, I see people all the time. You know, Some of you have got your phones out. I'm going to assume that you're taking notes, not playing games. And that's fine. So... Let's do the traffic lights as an example about taking notes. So first can we put that? So red light, you've never thought of this before. You've never considered writing down messages, writing them down. Your next step is to get yourself a journal or a notebook or bring your phone, your device, so that you are ready to take notes. Maybe it's a yellow note. You're a yellow light. You occasionally bring your notebook or you write the odd thought down. The next step for you is to commit to taking notes Every week, maybe you're a green light, and some of you are, and I'm aware of that. Each week, what I want you to do is look back over your notes from the message and consider if you've taken action. You may be a red light now. My goal is that you would move through yellow and green, that not only would you write down some things that God is speaking to you about, but actually through the week you consider what you're doing with it. Because information leads to transformation through faith and action. Worship team, you can come and join me. God, I thank you for what you're up to in the midst of this church now. God, I thank you that this is the day that you have made. And in this day, we are going to rejoice and be glad in it. God, I know that for some of us, the idea of loving God and loving others is really simple, but God, I know that we've all got room to grow. God, I pray that in years to come, this would be a defining hallmark of this church, our love for others. Not just those in the room, but especially those that are not in this room. That God, our community would feel loved because we are here. The people that we encounter day to day, week to week, would know that we love them and therefore would see your love through us. God, help us to be people of love. Help us to be people of grace that let offence go and that are ready to forgive and move past things. God, that in this family of believers together, God, we would be known as people that love one another. God, help us on this journey. Help us to grow and mature in our faith. God, the things that may be holding us back, the, the things from our past that may impact how we see and interact with others. God, I want to pray healing into those areas of those wounds and the brokenness that we carry inside us. In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, do a work, we pray. 
God, may we encounter you afresh each day of our week. May our desire for you be manifest in the way that we live and the choices we make and the things that we prioritise. God, we say we love you. Help us to live that love. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Dot org.